Good morning, my name is Chris Barnes. Uh, if we haven't met, I am the student ministry director here at this campus. Um, I've been here at Calvary for nine years and uh, many of you probably were expecting Thomas. Surprise! Yeah, different shirt up on this stage. Yeah, different color even. I don't even know if red's been worn on this stage before. It's a shade of gray, typically. So, uh, if we've never met, I wanted to give you a chance to at least get a picture of my family so that you have a picture of the guy that's going to be talking at you for the next 30 minutes. So, here's a picture of my family. This is my wife, Abby, and she is finishing up medical school in May. She's graduating. She's going to be an OBGYN doctor and uh, yeah, super pumped for that part of this journey to be over. Uh, and you can't see it in this picture, but she has a growing baby bump on her belly and we have our second little girl due in February. Uh, and so, and then our whoop whoop, there's some clapping going on, yeah, yeah. Uh, all good things and Penelope is this little girl seen in this picture and we're at my wife's favorite concert here this was this past summer and Abby got so much joy seeing this little girl dance around to her favorite band like it was a special connection and then last Christmas they went to see the Nutcracker and I didn't know that this year was going to turn into the year of Nutcracker Penelope loves to dance and dance and so Almost daily, she has looked at me at some point in the day and been like, Daddy, can we listen to the Nutcracker? I had no idea how much I would enjoy listening to classical music almost on a daily basis. Uh, it's amazing the power of a little girl looking up at you with her big, beautiful eyes and those things. And so I, I feel privileged to be up here to start the Christmas series and season with you. We're, we're going to start a series through Advent this morning, and the, the word for this morning is hope. Now, if Advent is not a word that you're familiar with, like if church is new or this Christian lingo thing is not something that you're familiar with, Advent is simply uh, means coming. And this season right here, we're in a season of, of looking back to what followers of Jesus would recognize as the first advent, the first coming of Jesus into the world. And we currently live in between the first and a second advent that we're looking forward to. As followers of Jesus, we, we believe that he came into the world, lived, died, and was resurrected, and went back to his father, and is preparing a place for his followers to be and he's at the right time he's going to come back and take his people with him and so we're in this place in the middle where we look back at God's faithfulness and look forward to a future promise that he has promised to his people and if you've read this story and the, if you didn't know the Bible is a story and a unified story of God interacting with humanity and if you've read this story most of humanity has lived in a similar place like you and I. Most of humanity could look back and see how God revealed himself and revealed his character and faithfulness and gave them a future promise to look forward to. And so most of the humans, if you crack open the stories and, and see the humans living, they live in a similar circumstance to you and I where we're in the middle. 
And a question this morning is, as we're in this middle place, how can we have hope, like real, genuine hope that is produced in a deep and real sense in our lives? My, my hope this morning is that through our conversation, some of the things that are shared will, will give you something later to consider and sit with and ponder. This, this story was meant to draw us into the heart of a God who wants to know us and us to be known by him. And it's meant to be sat with and considered. And so my prayer this morning is that there will be things that you will leave with that you'll be able to sit with and consider and maybe even have a deeper sense of hope than you walked into this room with. Because all of us come in a different place. We're in different seasons of life. Some of us are like anticipation and we're looking forward to things to come and we kind of have a hopeful anticipation of the future. Some are in a season of pressure and change. I find myself in this kind of a season where I feel pressure and there's change coming but I can't predict what change looks like. And some walk into this room with some things that you feel hopeless about. And for us in this room, what is the season of Advent? How can we experience a real sense of hope in the midst of our day-to-day lives, in, in, the midst, in the middle where we're looking back and looking forward? And sometimes it feels like God is distant and far away and he doesn't care. And what do we do with that? If you're going to read the Old Testament, you're going to encounter this word of hope. And I think it's a helpful place to start where what, what was a biblical idea, what was contained in this word hope where when they used, when the biblical authors used this word, what, what was embedded in the idea for them? And in the Old Testament, when you encountered this word hope, there was two words that could be translated and they have a similar meaning and it's to wait and sometimes with tense expectations. Think of a farmer who has a seed and he puts the seed in the ground and he buries it and cannot see it anymore. And he knows if he waters it, gives it proper sunlight, he should expect that that seed would pop up and produce a crop and a crop that would be able to provide for himself and his family. But there's this season where he puts it into the ground and he's working and he's waiting and he sees nothing. And the days and the weeks go and there's nothing popping out of the ground and the tension builds day after day where you see nothing happening and you put your hope in something that you can't see any results currently. And sometimes we find ourselves in this place where if we're in this room and the conversation is going to be centered around God and you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, I've I've tried that before. I put my hope in God and I expected things to move. I expected things to change. I expected things to be different. I expected things to heal. I expected, I expected something and I waited and nothing happened. And embedded into this word of hope is that idea and that experience of sometimes waiting without seeing any results. Sometimes this Engaging with God is being willing to operate on his timing and in his 
wisdom. The question that I want to ask you this morning next that will help set up our conversation is, who do you think God is? Like, what is your view of God that you walked into this room with? Is, is God a God who is holding out on you? Is he against you in some way? Like, are you being punished for something? Is he a God who puts arbitrary restrictions in order to lessen your experience of life? Because there's a truth for all of us. The, the biblical authors who wrote these letters for us to read and learn from and experience, and they would hope that we would learn what they learned, is that if you put your hope in a personal being, God, who created an abundant place for us to live and wants our good and is, wants to be in a relationship with us and is, wants us to experience his other-centered love, you and I will never put our hope in him if we think he is a God who is holding out on us. If we think he is against us, if we think he is punishing us for something, if we, if we think he's holding out on us in some way, we'll never put our hope in him. And this is, this is the thing that humans have wrestled with from the beginning. The picture that we get in the first three chapters of the Bible is a God who created an abundant, good place and is generous. And he takes the first two humans and put them in an ordered garden and he says, you can eat freely of anything except this specific boundary that I'm going to give you. And it's for your good that I'm going to give you this boundary. If you eat from within that boundary, death is going to come into your experience and you're going to experience the consequences of death being a part of your reality. And those first two humans were tricked into believing that God was holding out on them. That the best life he was reserving for himself and he didn't want to share it with them and he was actually sharing the crumbs with them. He wasn't sharing the good and the best. And so instead of receiving from God, they took on their own. And instead of living in God's wisdom and God's timing, they chose to live in their wisdom and their timing. I think that's an important question for us to ask this morning as we set into this conversation. Because we're going to engage in a story and the author named Luke has a couple goals in his writing. He wants us to journey into his story. And one of the results is that we would have confidence in this person of Jesus, such to where that we would place our hope in him. And we need to just be honest with ourselves a little bit as we engage in this. In the first four verses, here's the two goals that Luke has. He wants, he wants us the readers of the story and the hearers of the story to be convinced that Jesus is the fulfillment. Luke grew up in a people that was deeply connected to the story of his people. The three quarters of this book is what we call the Old Testament and it's a unified story and Luke would have been intimately connected to the stories and the figures and the people of his story and he's writing, he wants the people of his time and every after to see something special and unique happening in the time of where Jesus was announced and actually birthed and lived. And he also wants us to be confident 
confident in this person, to be able to move past maybe our current views of who God is and how he's working in our life, to see a clearer picture. He's writing a story so that we would actually see who is this God? What is he like? How does he interact with humans? And how does he want to interact with me? With that being said, we're going to jump into Luke's parallel birth announcement stories. And if you're unfamiliar with Luke, he was a traveling companion of Paul. And if you remember, Paul was a figure after Jesus left and this Jesus movement started by his closest followers. Paul thought that it was against God and he was passionately trying to stop it and squash this movement. Then he had a personal encounter with Jesus such that it transformed him radically and he put all of that passion now into spreading and building this Jesus movement and he went from place to place building up communities and churches of followers of Jesus. And Luke traveled with him and along those travels became convinced that another story needed to be written. There, Luke was not the first one to write about Jesus in this story. He became convinced that there needed to be an orderly account so that people could be confident to put their hope in Jesus and see who Jesus is and have a really clear picture of God. And he begins with these birth announcement stories. And so we're going to be in Luke 1, starting in uh, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abia, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Imagine yourself a young priestly Zechariah, you could trace your family lineage in a special way to the priests of old. And so you had a special connection in your position as a priest of the people. A priest in this time, they were a mediator. Their, their role in the society was a mediator between God and the people. And they would present the sacrifices to be able for the people to experience forgiveness and they would carry the prayers of the people into the presence of God so that God would hear the prayers of their people. And so as your important role, this man Zechariah would have known his family lineage and it was a special one. And then he found a wife that had an even more special one that could be traced back to Aaron, where the priests and the order of the priests began. You would have thought to yourself, I have a special family. And you would have ex expected yourself to receive blessings from God because of your special position. And it says that they were, you can keep it up there. And it says that they were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes. In one sense, you kind of would expect Zechariah to see, I would expect God to bless us. I would expect to receive the favor of God in our life because we're being faithful. This is, this is not language that would communicate moral purity. 
this is language of religious um, faithfulness. Like it's not, it's not telling us that they didn't sin. It's telling us that as much as they could, they followed the commandments and the statutes and the religious practices that God had laid out in this story. And they would have thought to themselves, I, I think God is going to bless us. And what we see is the exact opposite, is they actually experience social shame and disgrace. Because there was this myth that became a belief at this time in the Jewish society where if something was wrong with your physical body, it was because God, because you sinned against God and he was actually punishing you for something. And so this womb that was barren among their people would have pushed them to the outside and people would have looked at them and their family and would have said, what are you hiding? Like, what have you done that you're not willing to stop doing or repent of or take before God so you can receive forgiveness so he would bless you with children? And they would have year after year, month after month, received this kind of shame from their people and they lived with this shame and disgrace. Now, it's important to, to see Luke with that goal of getting us to see that things are being fulfilled. He is starting right here. This language of righteous and walking blamelessly and old and barren. To his contemporaries, the people that he is first writing to, it would have been unavoidable for them to think of Abraham and Sarah. Because this is the exact, if you, if you go to Genesis 17 and 18, you can write Genesis in 17 and 18 and look back and this walking blamelessly in righteous language he leverages and brings to this moment and in the ears of the hearers they would have been confronted with right here. Is God doing something special like he did in the time of Abraham where our people started? Is God going to do something special again like that? Luke wants those ideas to be stirring in the minds of the people that encounter this story and taking it back. Because remember, Sarah's womb was impossible to have a child and God generated life in her womb. And right here, he's wanting us to make a connection back to that story. And he continues. Now while he was serving as priest before God when the division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, there's an estimated 20-some thousand priests at this time. And to be chosen by lot, which is kind of a contemporary rolling of the dice, if you were chosen, this was like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I want you to see, if you, don't, if you don't have a picture of the temple that he would have been walking into, I want to show you a picture here. So there's progressively more courts inside, inside, inside. And there were specific people allowed into, as you, the further you got in, the more specific the people were allowed to go into that place. And this highest building right here in the, in the inner courts, that's the holy place. And if you remember, at this time, 
That's where God said his presence is going to dwell. And so Zechariah, in his mind, this is the closest to God's presence he will ever be in his entire life. In, inside that holy place, there's a veil, a, a thick curtain, a veil, that separated the, the place. And in, behind the veil was the holy of holies. And that's where the spirit of God dwelled. And so Zechariah being chosen, he would have been so excited to go in. This was his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go in and present the prayers of his people. Burning, burning incense was the practice of going into here after the altar, after the sacrificial sacrifices were given on the altar. The altar would have been burning hot, and he would throw the incense on the altar, and it would produce this fragrant smoke that would waft up. And it was this really cool visual ritual that God gave his people in a sense to say, I want to hear the, your prayers. And your prayers go up and I listen to them and I care about them. And he is getting to go in and do this. And we'll, we'll continue. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah, Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, I don't know what your family is like, but the family that I grew up in, the only time that we talked about angels and the possibility of a spiritual realm existing side by side ours that we can't see is Christmas. Sometimes Easter, mainly Christmas because there's angels and whatnot in this story that appear and people are like, oh cool, angels, moving on. If you read this story, these are common characters in this story. It would benefit me, it would benefit you to actually dive into characters like this and understand them better and see, see what actual reality is really like beyond our senses that we can touch, see, smell. And this angel appears to him, Zechariah would have, it wouldn't have been out of the realm of possibility. And this angel shows up. And angels, they had two primary roles in the story. They came from the presence of God with a message or a mission. And so here, he has an important message to tell Zechariah. And he starts with, hey, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. It's not, it's not known whether this was a young Zechariah's prayer, who undoubtedly would have been praying for a son and a family of his own, and he is old now, that's like a dead prayer. Because he has grown old and his wife has grown old. And it's impossible for her to have kids. And so the prayer of a young Zechariah is gone and dead. And he would have been going into that temple, into the holy place, carrying the prayers of his people for freedom. Because his people existed under the rule of the Roman Empire. And before the Roman Empire, the Greeks and you know that God has promised your people freedom. And part of the prayers that you would have been walking in with was, God, will you remember your promises and deliver us and give us freedom? 
all we're given is your prayer has been heard. And then he says, you're going to have a son and you shall call his name John. It's not obvious to us in English the connection to God's name that it has, but if you saw, <clears throat> excuse me, if you saw this name written in Hebrew, you would see that part of God's name is in it, and it means Yahweh is gracious. And so he's it, given in this name. He didn't have to choose Zechariah. He didn't have to use them, but he chose them to be a special conduit of what God was going to start doing and do. And we continue on in verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's going to be great among the people, and people are going to rejoice. And it seems like a weird restriction to us. Like, why can't he drink alcohol? Don't drink alcohol, and you're side by side with that. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The hearers of Luke in his time would have heard the connection to the Nazarite vow, which was a special vow that people took that um, separated them and put, set them apart to have a special connection with God and walking. And this filling with the Holy Spirit. So remember, this happens before Pentecost in Acts. And so how we experience the Holy Spirit here and how it's possible for you and I to experience the Holy Spirit is different than when Zechariah was living. I want you to see here that, remember, this is how in the Old Testament before Acts and Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given to a specific person for a set period of time and could be given and taken away. And so it's being set up. There's going to be a little bit of an extra boundary and connected to that boundary, there's going to be a blessing of God's presence in his life. To live in this boundary would actually expand his life and experience of walking with God. And we continue. Oh, I'll go back to the, we're not done. Yeah, there we go. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now for us, we hear these words, and it's not automatic to us what the connection is that Luke is trying to do. But he is evoking specific language from two prominent prophets of the people, Malachi and Isaiah. I want you to see the connection that, that he's trying to make here. Spirit and power, power of Elijah, hearts of the parents to the children, prepared for the Lord. He is intentionally connecting what has been said about what God is going to do to this moment that happened. And he is wanting us to see and his current contemporaries to see God is doing something special and unique. And the things that he talked about, he is doing here and now. I know we've waited for hundreds of years, 
God is faithful to his promises, even though it takes longer than we would like or expect. And he connects him into Elijah. And if you're not familiar with the role of a prophet, Elijah was one of the most prominent prophets of the Israelite people, and he was lifted up as an example of a prophet. Now, the role of a prophet was, was this, to mainly be a divine spokesman. They would receive a message from God and say, God says this, and they were a divine spokesman to their people, and a covenant watchdog. We, we together as a community, just journeyed through Exodus, and we saw how Israel went into this marriage covenant. The, the covenant that they walked in and the ritual that they did was actually like a wedding ceremony covenant. And so they entered into this wedding-like covenant with God. And the, the prophets were people to go to the, the community and say, you are being unfaithful to your wedding commitment to God. Come back, come back to God, come back to God. This is what the covenant is. This is how to follow him. This is how you're being unfaithful. Turn, turn, turn before it's too late and you're gonna be punished. And then a small portion of this is future predictions. And because Luke wants us to be confident and to see how God is being faithful, he leverages a lot of these future predictions. Prophets, prophets of old, a lot of their um, messages and writings weren't paid attention to until years later when some of their future predictions actually came true because they were actually kind of weird guys like Isaiah, some of this prophet that is going to pop up in this story. God told them to live naked for three years and I don't know about you, but if somebody was like, God is saying this and then he walked around naked for three years, I'd be like, I don't think so. <laughs> Until he was making future predictions and they kept coming through. And then, oh, we might want to pay attention to that weirdo. He might be speaking the words of God. We'll continue. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. How shall I know this? He's asking for a sign. He's unconvinced even though a messenger from God is standing right before him and he's like, oh man, can you, can you just help me see? How can I know this for sure? Because it's not possible for my wife to have a child. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah would have heard this name, Gabriel, and I can imagine his heart melting because Gabriel is the highest of the angel in the order. He is, he is the one who has the most authority of the messengers of God and he's, he said he came from the presence of God to deliver this message and Daniel would have blasted into Zechariah's mind because that's the, the same messenger who came to Daniel to help him and deliver important messages and he would have said 
I'm standing in the presence of Gabriel like I didn't believe and I, oh my gosh, they would have, I, I can't imagine what was going on in Zechariah in this moment. And he was given a sign, probably not the sign that he was hoping for, to be mute for nine months, but he was given a sign, maybe the most beneficial sign, I don't know. He was, he was walking in his, his unbelief and having a hard time seeing, so hey, don't speak, and when it actually happens, then you'll be able to speak again. And here, we'll continue on verse 21. And he walks out of the temple, and the people see that he is unable to speak. And they're, they're like, oh my gosh, something special happened in there. Maybe it was a vision. And he fulfills his time at the temple and then goes home. And his wife, Elizabeth, actually does become pregnant. And she stays in seclusion for five months, which is understandable because if you have lived the life of Elizabeth, who has been pushed to the outside because your womb is barren. You're not going to be a woman who goes out and be like, I'm pregnant. I'm like 90 years old. I have a kid. They're like, crazy woman. Like, you're not going to subject yourself to that more pain until it's visible that you are actually present and something special is happening in you. We see in this story, God put his favor on this family and reversed their shame and disgrace. He came, and this first birth announcement story, I think Luke wants us to see this clear picture of God reversing the shame and disgrace in this way, and doing something where God cares about your prayers, And God is presented as a God who is like, I know there are times where it seems like I'm distant and I don't care, but I care. I am still here and I am faithful and I am working. And connected to that, a God who can bring life to impossible places. And then he moves on to the second birth announcement narrative. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to, see, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The same messenger was sent with a very important message. And virgin is repeated, this, this very specific word. And Luke is writing at a time, he doesn't have exclamation mark as a, as a way of grammar, to put emphasis on something, the way that he is able to put emphasis on something is repeating a specific word or phrase. And so if you're reading in scripture and you see a word repeated or a phrase repeated, take note because the author is trying to emphasize something to you. And so he is emphasizing virgin and then he finishes, oh favored one, the Lord is with you. And he is leveraging Isaiah and I want you to see the the Isaiah passage that he's leveraging in Isaiah 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And if you go back to the, the screen, the angel comes and says, the Lord is with you. 
And it would be unavoidable for the original hearers of this letter to make that connection. They would not have missed it. And he's saying, again, okay, there was one who was going to come to prepare the way for the, the Savior of our people, the one who is going to set us free. That person is, is coming. And now he is going to make the case for the Savior of his people to come. And he is going to link this birth and announcement to the Savior of their people. And we'll continue in verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in the womb, in your womb, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Favor is repeated. See, this birth announcement is going to reverse her life from good standing to shame and disgrace. Because if you're familiar with the story at all, you know that she conceives and it's not from Joseph. She, she is in this process of being betrothed to a man named Joseph. And in their culture, this was a process where you would have a ceremony and the only way to get out of this betrothal is a certificate of divorce. And so you would go through this ceremony and Joseph went away to his father's house, typically for a year. He would go away to his father's house to prepare a place for Mary, his new bride. And when the father determined it was, the place was ready, Joseph would come back to Mary and bring her with him. And so they were separate and away and this angel comes and you can keep the verse up there. And this angel comes and says, you have found favor. And the dreams of a young girl, of a new family, were about to be changed. Because she was going to move from being in good standing to experiencing shame and disgrace. Because she was going to be labeled as an adulterer for the rest of her life. Because how else could a child come that wasn't Joseph's? She was going to be labeled as a person who was unfaithful and pushed to the outside because God had favor on her. It's the exact opposite. And it should mess with our ideas of when God puts his favor on somebody, what happens? Because he's using both of these families for a special way in a unique way. And one restores them into society and one is increasing their difficulty in this life. And we continue in the story. This son who is to be called Jesus will be great and he will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him to give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no end. This is direct language from Isaiah the prophet who talked about the savior of the people to come. Here it is from Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, 
and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Again and again and again, Luke is saying God is fulfilling his promises now. And there is something unique and special that God is doing. And John and this boy, Jesus, who again, his, Jesus' name in Hebrew means Yahweh saves. This is going to be the boy through who Yahweh saves his people and humanity. And we will continue. Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born and called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary is like, I am confused because it's not actually possible for me to have a kid right now because I'm not married to Joseph. And the angel communicates this process which mirrors the same process that happened at page one where God created life out of nothing. The Most High and the Spirit are the two automatic characters at the beginning of the story. God is there and the Spirit is hovering over the waters. At the beginning where life generated out of nothing, Luke is trying to send our minds back to that same place that God is a God who generates life out of nothing. If you can accept that God created the universe out of nothing, you can accept that he generated life in a girl's womb where it wasn't possible to have life. This is the same God that is working. And he gave her a sign to go along with it. And he's like, I know it's, it feels impossible, but the impossible already happened. Your relative, God did it in her womb. She was barren and beyond the age of childbirth and he already generated life in her. The impossible already happened. And he wants to do it in you as well. And Mary is left with this reality and God presents this thing to her, which is actually a pattern that how God interacts with humanity. And I want you, I want you to see this pattern. It's, it starts at the beginning and this is how God comes to, to every human on this planet. He provides and plans a good abundant future. And he desires to carry out this good, abundant future through humans. Like this plan that we're reading here, he came to two humans and wanted to carry it out through them. And then he presents this in front of them and he says, I want you to listen to me and live in my wisdom and my timing. Operate in my boundaries and be willing to live in my wisdom and my timing. And Mary was presented with this choice. She, her good and abundant future 
was to be the mother of the person who would change history and be the savior of her people and not only that, humanity. But it would also require her to suffer and experience more pain. And was she willing to submit to God's wisdom and God's timing and his plan over her wisdom and her dreams and her plan? And sometimes you and I, when we encounter God's plan, we're like, I don't think God is good in this. And maybe he's wanting to do something special in us like he did Mary. And we see her choice. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She said, God, I'm willing to submit. I might not know all the future. I might not know how difficult this is going to be. I have an idea. And I'm willing to live in your wisdom and listen to you and follow your lead, even though it might not make sense. And it might feel way more difficult than I ever imagined. But I'm willing to live in your wisdom and your timing. I think Luke wants us to see this picture of God coming. And who's, who's the God that we see revealed in these stories? There's, there's at least three things that we can see of who God is and what he is like in these stories. He's a God who sees, hears, and is with us. He seemed far away to some people in this story and that like he, they had been forgotten. But he wants every one of us to, to, to know he has not forgotten us. He still sees us and that he still wants to be with us and is with us even when it feels like he's not. And a God who is faithful to his promises. Sometimes putting your hope in God requires waiting way beyond where we're comfortable. Some of the characters in this story, the promises weren't fulfilled in their lifetime and they died putting their hope in God and waiting. And it was fulfilled in their children, children's children's time. But as we encounter this story, we see a God who actually is faithful to his promises. But sometimes his timing is way longer than we would want. And a God who generates life in dead places. Things in life sometimes feel impossible. Relationships sometimes feel impossible. Jobs sometimes feel impossible. Careers, different dreams that you have for your future sometimes feel impossible. And I think there's a piece of this story of who God is. Luke would want us to see that he is a God that can bring life to places that you feel are impossible and maybe dead and beyond repair. But this is a God, if you place your hope in him, he can do the impossible if you're willing to submit to his wisdom and his timing. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these stories. May the things that you have spoken this morning 
uh, stick with us. We want uh, to learn from you and for these stories to change us and change how we see you. And as we enter into a time of communion, may we remember and be thankful of you and your sacrifice and your life and death and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.